0: Welcome to the Fight Lawyer Podcast, where we discuss combat sports and the law. Our guest today is award-winning writer and author of True Story, Michael Finkel. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to do this.
1: I'm happy to be here, thank you.
0: So why don't you tell us a bit about your background, what led you to writing an ultimately true story in your latest book, Stranger in the Woods?
1: You know, I've been a, I'm have been 49 years old, and I've been a journalist for close to 30 years, so you can do the math. I'm one of those fortunate people who has always known or always wanted to be a specific thing when he grew up, which was I've been curious about so many things in the world. And so journalism was just a sort of natural path for me. I worked on my high school paper, my college paper. And as soon as I was out of college, I I worked at skiing magazines, sports magazines, and worked my way up to adventure. And then finally, hard news magazines. And the pinnacle was working for the new york times sunday magazine which is a job i got when i was about uh, 30 years old quite young and as i'm sure we'll discuss uh, my tenure at the new york times magazine ended in a little bit of disaster i um, created what's called a composite character i combined a couple of real uh interviews together into what's known as a composite character that's against the rules of journalism and uh, in my story that was published in the new york times magazine um, I was fired for doing that, <laughs> and and while one might think that sort of like uh, might be the end of one's writing career, it turned out amongst uh, in one of the most bizarre coincidences that I don't think uh, I don't think I'll ever quite put it straight in my mind. It still to this day sort of uh, rattles me that literally the day I was fired from the New York Times Magazine, the day I felt like I lost my name, Michael Finkel, the journalist, I found out that a man named Christian Longo, who was on the FBI's 10 Most Wanted Criminals list, same list at the time as Osama bin Laden, uh, was arrested in Mexico, wanted for four murders, and had been running around telling everyone that he, Christian Longo, the guy on the 10 Most Wanted list, was me, Michael Finkel. He had taken on my identity. He told people that his name was Michael Finkel and that he was a writer for the New York Times magazine. That's the setup.
0: And how did you initially find out about Christian Longo and his use of your name?
1: It was through a phone call from a journalist. In fact, uh, Christian Longo came from uh, the murders. And by the way, they weren't just random murders. They were his wife and his three young children, which is possibly the most horrific crimes one can imagine. Um, They were uh, committed, these murders were committed on the Oregon coast, and it was a big cause celebrate a huge story in the West coast and a reporter from the Portland Oregonian called me up and it was a very confusing conversation because I thought this o- or reporter was calling me to discuss the incident at the New York times magazine that resulted in my firing. But in- instead he informed me that a man had just been arrested in Mexico who had been running around telling everyone that he was me. And that was a, uh, that was the initial, sort of confusing and eye-opening moment where I'm like, what, a murderer's been running around pretending to be me? You're joking, or you're, this can't possibly be true. I just lost my name, and now you're telling me someone else took it. It seemed there's almost no better word than, like, divine intervention, it felt like to me, Dimitri.
0: And were you initially hesitant to engage in this endeavor, meaning the endeavor to write the book, given the obvious very difficult circumstances with which I'm sure you knew you'd be confronted?
1: So I glossed over everything where I gave you the very quick version, of course, the the true emotional impact of as I mentioned, this was a job, the New York Times magazine. It was sort of like it was sort of like my life's goal and dream was to become a, a journalist who could go anywhere in the world and write about the most important subjects and have a wide audience. And the New York Times magazine was that. So it was like a dream fulfilled and I was thirty years old. That, 30 years old and I thought that this would be my job forever and I was fired after about a year and was distraught about that and 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 to meet you when you're mad at someone else that's one thing but when you're mad at yourself which I was that's another thing you can't really escape that And so it's a very it's a sort of a very um fraught situation and I thought I would never really be able to do what I wanted to do my whole life, which was continue be a journalist and continue my career. And then suddenly, as if like a bolt from the blue, I think I just described this divine intervention. I suddenly find myself weirdly connected and wrapped up in what seems to be a bizarre murder story. Someone's taken on my name, and so as a journalist, you can fire someone, you can take away their job, but you can't take away their instincts. As soon as I heard this, all those sort of journalist neurons for lack of a better phrase, started firing like, wait, what, what do you mean someone took on my name? Why would they do this? What, what's the story behind this? And all, uh, so from, from the beginning with Christian Mongo, I needed I needed to, I, I had dozens of questions and my journalistic journalistic instincts were on full force.
0: So how did it work procedurally in terms of meeting with him, in terms of taking on the endeavor of writing what was an investigative, what turned into a book? How did that work in terms of the progression of time?
1: Yeah, sure. So after I received this phone call from the Portland Oregonian reporter, I said, wow, I'd like to get in touch with Christian Longo, the person who took on my identity. And the reporter's like, yeah, we all would. He's not talking to anyone in the media. That's why I called you, said the reporter. I thought you might have some insight into why he took on this persona. And I informed the reporter that I had no idea. But I didn't care that Christian Longo wasn't speaking to anyone else. He didn't take on anyone else's name. And I reached out to Christian Longo first by uh, via letter. He was being held in jail. And I sent him a letter in jail. And I included my phone number. And that initiated a series, <laughs> series would be an understatement, that initiated the most profoundly bizarre and very intense relationship. It started with us writing letters to each other. And later, Christian Longo would call me collect from the county jail every week. And he was allotted, I think, one hour of phone time. And he spent that phone call with me eventually christian Longo sent me approximately a thousand no exaggeration a thousand pages of handwritten letters and we spoke on the phone more than 50 times for over the course of an hour and i visited him in jail i would say at least 10 visits uh and i attended every minute of his trial and the basic setup was here's a guy who took on my identity I, i he claimed to me and i didn't believe him but here in the United States as of course you know we one one is granted the presumption of innocence until proven guilty he said to me mike you've just been fired from the new york times you um clearly um you know you can't afford to make any more mistakes if you ever hope to resurrect your career well listen to me i will give you the story of your life all i want you to do is be thorough i want i will prove to you that i'm innocent said Chris Longo, and I said, well, go ahead and do it. You know, and that is the overview of a very technical, very disturbing, very twisty relationship.
0: And when did you decide you were going to make this into a book?
1: So I'm a magazine writer down to my DNA, and I had never written a book before, um, a book-length work. And I think it started with the complexity of Christian Longo's sort of promise that he would prove himself innocent and this sort of cat and mouse game that's going on. You can say many things about Christian Longo. Certainly he's a psychopath. Definitely he's a liar, but it's hard to deny that he is intelligent, which makes it very, very tricky to unearth the truth. He's a skilled and intelligent liar. And I realize that all these themes of identity theft and, uh, murder and cat and mouse game. And where are is truth where, you know, these sort of grand themes really could not be contained within the boundaries of a magazine article. And within a few weeks of initiating my relationship with Chris Longo, I realized that this would have to be told in a longer format, also known as a book.
0: And th- throughout your writing the book and doing research for the book, what were the moments that really stuck out in your mind, the discussions that stuck out in your mind that made you, you know, on the ride home think, wow, what am I doing here?
1: There were dozens of those, wow, what am I doing here moments, because you have to remember that Chris, uh, Christian Longo, the murderer, the guy who took on my identity, there were four dead bodies found on the Oregon coast, his wife and his three children, and one live man who changed his identity found in Mexico. Now that doesn't seem like the actions of an innocent person. And without giving away too much, because really the innocence and the guilt are not the point of the book. It's not a who done it. It's mostly a why done it. Christian Longo is guilty, was guilty, did kill his children and his wife. So there was very little doubt of his guilt. It was like, ah, would he ever, ever admit to it? Would the pathological liar ever admit to the truth? And that's really what the book's about. So you have to remember that almost every time I'm exchanging letters or traveling to a jail or picking up the phone, there's this little soundtrack in the back of my head saying, this is a psychopath who killed his wife and kids. I have a wife and three kids right now, Demetrius. Like just even thinking of it sends this crazy shudder of sort of disgust through my body, and yet I'm picking up the phone and talking to this guy. Now you might, and your listeners might say, why would you do that? Well, I can answer as briefly as possible that the opportunity to speak to someone like Christian Mongo, someone who, I mean, when I talk to people in his community, the women in his community, even after His arrest for murder said you know i used to always tell my husband why can't you be more like chris Longo? he seems to be the perfect husband why can't you behave more like him look at him he seems to be the most this guy had never as far as i know raised his voice committed even the most minor crime this was just on the surface until i dug deeper he was the classic psychopath charming intelligent handsome well-dressed witty on the outside and a completely evil person on the inside and the opportunity to talk to such a person to have this person try and explain themselves is really really rare when it comes to something and i don't really like the label evil it seems like too easy to slap on but if you kill your wife and kids i think you could put the label evil on you when it comes to seeing something evil you could turn your back to it and walk away or You could look it dead in the eye and perhaps something can be learned. Perhaps some other wife, some other family could avoid the exact same tragedy. And I chose, despite never for a moment feeling comfortable about it, to look Christian Longo, the psychopath, the murderer, the guy who took on my identity, directly in the eye and listen to what he had to say and see what kind of machinations he would go through. To try and prove to me the person who could make no mistakes in another article or else probably be banned for life from writing to see if he could prove his innocence to me. And if that's not a book topic, if that's not a pretzeled, crazily you know, uh, varied plot of a book, then I don't know what is.
0: And did you ever encounter any criticism or pushback due to what many perceived as essentially you glorifying these horrible acts?
1: when you're dealing with something that is morally murky and as i just explained giving attention to a psychopath you know listening with let's just be honest what what could be called a friendly ear did we become friends yeah in a way we kind of became friends if you spend a lot of time talking to someone and you're picking up the phone and giving them attention then there is some element of friendship to that and that is really morally murky you can't forget. I never forgot that there are, I'm not a victim in this crime. He took on my identity, but he really killed uh, his wife and his wife had a family and he killed his children. These are the grandchildren of both his wife's parents, his parents. There were true victims here. And I was giving this guy attention. Of course, they would be furious at me. Of course, there's morally murky areas, but sometimes in journalism, a story takes you to uncomfortable places, and that's not the time that I personally choose to, to you know to to abandon a story. I followed it to its very, very ends and never and never felt hundred percent comfortable and If someone wants to criticize me about my method, I can't disagree. I do get rather obsessed, and it is you know sometimes in life of when you read something, it's not that it's not comfortable to read, but that's possibly part of the point and in, in my project in true story that's that's the case
0: and i know there were implications throughout did he really ever reveal to you the purpose of why he took your identity
1: um <laughs> i'm i'm i was not and i am not a particularly well-known writer but i do have <laughs> i have a few small fans i have my, and it turns out one of my fans was a is a psychopath he Christian Longo had three children when he was very young. I think he had all of his children by the age of 25. I have three children now, but I am almost 50. Um, So I understand how much time and how much selflessness you need to have to raise children. And here you are, you know, every once in a while you encounter a writer who seems to be you know, again, a lot of the work is sort of not exposed in the writing, but, uh, you know, seems to be running around the world, covering all these stories. And sometimes you have these fantasies. I wish I could be free like that. I wish I could do this story. And somehow the combination of the subjects that I chose and perhaps the style in which I wrote them made Christian Longo, I don't know if the word is jealous, but like sort of wish that like, if he had taken a different life path, didn't get married so young, didn't have children when he was very young that's the kind of journalist journalism he wanted to do. And it was sort of this, I wouldn't say obsession, but sort of this deeper than being a fan. It was like, this is what, this is the life he sort of, you know, it it wasn't exactly my real life. It was the life he read about in my articles. Of course, there's a lot of, you know, BS that goes on between (laughs) writing articles, a lot of work in the background. Uh, But this was the, uh, this was the kind of life he envisioned, he wished he had. And Christian Longo's middle name is Michael. My middle name, my name is Michael. And I had just written an article for the New York times magazine, the like the, the same weekend that the murderers took place. And my name was on the cover of the New York times magazine and some combination of him running to Mexico, his middle name being Michael, his thoughts about, a job he wanted to take the fact that he had just seen my byline uh, when he was like, I need to be someone else. It just sort of hit into his mind that this was who he's going to be. And it's when I say he stole my identity, he didn't steal my credit cards or my social security number. He didn't know my mother's maiden name. It was both. It was almost deeper than that. It was like, he stole my personality. He went to Mexico. And told people that his name was Michael Finkel and he was a reporter for the New York Times Magazine. Now, people, when you say that, don't say, well, prove it to me. Show me your ID. You know, They accept that when you say that with a straight face and you look them in the eye and you speak intelligently. He picked up a photographer. He met a woman there who was a photographer. And she believed that she was now working on an assignment with a reporter for the New York Times Magazine. It was an amazing job of ventriloquism and personality theft more than you know, uh, more than identity theft, theft is what I call it.
0: And in terms of the substantive case, what did the investigation look like? How did it, how long did it take roughly before he was arrested?
1: So, um, the, in terms of the law case, as I mentioned to you, the, uh, bodies of his wife and children were found in Oregon. He, it, it's almost, like I said, it's almost uh, stomach churning to get into it. Basically he, it's, for his uh, youngest, uh, for two of his children, he tied rocks to their ankles and threw them into the water, perhaps alive. They drowned. It's horrible. And uh, these bodies floated to the surface, and that initiated the search for the rest of his family. They were all found in the water, and clearly the husband wasn't found. There was some indication that he had gotten a plane ticket to Mexico under a, uh, using a stolen credit card. And they saw that the flight landed in Cancun. The FBI made Spanish language wanted posters, plastered them, plastered them all over the Yucatan Peninsula. It was assumed that Christian Longo might not be found, but sort of with a combination of speedy good work by the uh, FBI and a little bit of luck. A tour guide saw one of the photos, realized that he had just given a tour to this guy and uh Arrest was made, I think Chris Longo was in Mexico for maybe less than two weeks before he was arrested. So it was a pretty fast work. He didn't have a chance to, I I wonder sometimes how far he would have taken his personality theft. He even like seemed to go so far as to send a letter to my editor at the New York Times, seeing if he could write an article under him. I just, I wonder sometimes how far he would have stretched this impersonation, but was arrested by the FBI and extradited to the United States. And
0: are you of the opinion that Longo had any mental health issues that the criminal justice system effectively dealt with in prosecuting him?
1: So this is more your bellowic. You know, I don't know the niceties of the law. I am not a lawyer. But, you know, there was thoughts amongst Chris Longo's defense team of raising a sort of uh, insanity defense. But it seemed, first of all, their client, Chris Longo, uh, was an egotist upon egotist, and would never, you know, want to admit publicly that he was insane. And secondly, I think the uh, the, um, the the knowledge of right and wrong was clearly present in Chris Longo. There wasn't any question that he knew what he was doing was uh, was against the law. So I I don't think there was any serious thought to uh, using uh, mental health uh, problems as a Defense, but clearly, if you murder your family, <laughs> you're not mentally sound by definition.
0: And what, if anything, did you take away from the way the system works due to your involvement with Christian Lango?
1: I have to tell you, Dimitri, that I was happy with the way the system worked. Christian Longo, when you meet him in person or you see him in a courtroom, the most frightening thing about him is that there is absolutely nothing frightening about him at all. He, you know, this was a little while ago, this took place in 2001, but he was young, with a baby face, handsome, well-dressed, well-spoken, um, like boy next door, sort of like, you know, frat house, frat, frat boy sort of um, confidence, but yet this sort of like the kind of guy, like, you know, you could be, traveling in a town and, you know, go to a bar and end up shooting pool and having a laugh with this person. Like there was no, there was no, I got nothing, no, whatever you want to call them spidey senses about me that said this guy was dangerous. And the fact, despite the fact that his defense when it came to it was almost laughably weak, I wondered if he would be able to charm a member or two of a jury into feeling like there's just no way this guy could be a a murderer. He doesn't, I don't get the sense that he, that, that there's just no way I could imagine this person committing these crimes. And I was worried that he would get away with murder and, you know, and I felt almost complicit in it because I was listening to what he was saying and almost helping him get away with murder by researching all these holes in his story. And every time I, I, I mentioned a hole in his story, he would be, he would, he would patch it up as if. I was like, you know, helping him do a dress rehearsal for his jury trial. And in the end, he was found guilty and was sentenced to death. And so I have to say that the system worked because this guy was clearly guilty. And in fact, only after his con- conviction did he admit it to me. And uh, so this was I think this was a case where the uh, the, the public, the 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 prosecution and the defense, I think, both did a decent job, and justice was fulfilled.
0: And I know the book was ultimately made into a movie starring Jonah Hill as yourself, James Franco as Longo. How did that come
1: about? I mean, it's an incredibly explosive story, which is, you know, I called the book True Story, and the movie itself was called True Story. And so if the book isn't called My Time with a Murderer, you know, uh, a guy takes on my identity it's a it, it, just right from the title it 's a, a, a story about truth and lies and you know, can, can you tell that can you tell when someone is lying and the answer to that question is no. If you are a skilled liar, you cannot tell when someone 's lying there is I read books after books about it there's just no way and Christian Longo is an amazingly skilled liar, as are some of our you know, I won't name names, politicians and people in public life. And perhaps, you know, again, this sort of, when, when can someone, when is, is someone telling the truth? And again, as a journalist, I was fired for bending the truth. And it's sort of with a, with a background of a murder, uh, an explosive murder story and uh, identity theft also running around there. And this sort of like, who, who done it? How done it? Will this guy be found guilty? These are all amazing themes, you know, the fact that a movie was made out of it seemed to be, it seemed to make sense. It is such an extraordinarily explosive, albeit uncomfortable story. So um, I wasn't, you know, it was Brad Pitt's production company, Plan B, that bought the rights. It did take about a decade of work because it's dark material, but eventually, you know, a very high quality cast of actors, as you mentioned, Jonah Hill and James Franco, and even my wife, uh, my girlfriend at the time, was played by Felicity Jones, who's quite an accomplished British actress. Uh, she starred in the last Star Wars movie. Um, and so it really had some, really, some, some, some uh, quality um, actors behind, working behind the scenes to make, it, to make a movie.
0: What was the process of seeing your work adapted to the screen like? How involved were you in the process?
1: I think a, that's a really good question. So since I am uh, intricately involved in the book itself, you know, it's basically a story about my probably un, my definitely my unhealthy and obsessive relationship with this murderer, since I'm part of the material, the people who are making the movie said that they were not comfortable with me hanging around since I'm sort of, I'm not just the writer, um, um, the you know um, uh, the the character of Mike Finkel, the car- person playing me. I'm part of the production, and so um, before the movie started shooting, I met with many of the people who were making it. The director, uh, Rupert Gould, uh, who comes from a uh, long and celebrated line of British theatrical productions. Uh, he was the, the director, and Jonah Hill, who played me. We we all met in in, in New York, and we talked a lot about the intricacies intricacies of the story but they said you know listen we really prefer to like let let us run with this creatively and we don't want to feel uh your presence there because it might you know it it might alter the work and and as a journalist and as a person who's sort of in an ancillary field you know creating creating books and creating movies are the same general idea you're trying to tell a story in a in a, a compelling and creative way i understood and so i really did not participate in the production, I spent only one day on set, and uh, I met everyone. But I was—I I took a back row seat and let—and let the uh, people involved in the movie run with it while I, while I stepped back. What'd you think of the movie? So this is almost impossible for me to, as I'm sure you can imagine, when the movie is so personal to you and so fraught that there's just no way I can watch it with any sense of dispassion. It is like, I have to watch it between the slits of my fingers because, you know, my encounters with Chris, with Chris Longo, the murderer, the real Chris Longo were so fraught. And again, as I mentioned, they're real victims here and this is not a piece of fiction. And I think, I think James Franco did an amazing job of capturing the exterior calmness and interior psychopathy of uh, Christian Longo. And I think Jonah Hill isn't, excellent actor. I even like him better in his serious roles than his comedic roles. So I think there was a lot of quality there, but I can't really judge how the movie is. It wasn't particularly popular. Well, you know, it's subject matter is so dark that, uh, that, um, you know, it's not one of those, oh, honey, let's go out, let's get a babysitter and watch someone murder their children tonight. It's not one of those sort of things. It's more for a viewer who is like, wow, I want to I want to take a trip into the outer edges of the human psyche and see what's there. But I don't know if I, it's like, you know, looking at a car crash, you can't not look away, but you don't really want to look at it. Um, so I think it was well done. It, it, I don't think that box office success is a direct correlation with, Artistry. I think it's an extremely well done movie that is difficult to watch and will not, it's not set up to have a wide audience. And they don't make too many movies like that. So that was my long winded answer. (laughs)
0: Jared was discussed with Jonah Hill, I know you mentioned this a minute ago, about how his portrayal of you could be most accurate, or did you kind of just stay away? They didn't want you to impose on him or on the movie in general like that.
1: Yeah, so. We're talking about a, the book itself, True Story, my book, is scrupulously accurate. As I mentioned, the root of the book started with me being fired from the New York Times Magazine. And so I called the book True Story both as a tongue-in-cheek title, because the main character, Christian Longo, is a pathological liar, but also without a single, at the same time, without a single note of irony, because this book was hyper fact-checked. I, want it, if, I wanted every line to be... I didn't want it was necessary that every line be accurate because the story is unbelievable because I had been fired for screwing up a story. And so any exaggeration or major error would kill both the book and the rest of my career. So the book is highly accurate. However, when you sell something to the movies, everything gets a little fictionalized. When I was writing about myself, I was writing what happened, but now you suddenly have Jonah Hill, pretending to be me. So there is a layer of fiction that's already built in. And then you're taking something from a, you know, when you read a book, it's just words on a page. And now it has to be visual with the movie. So a lot of things were slightly fictionalized. Lots of things that happened over the phone happened in person. A few things that were written in letters were suddenly dramatized on the screen. And so this is, this is, fictitious. When I met with Jonah Hill, now Jonah Hill, I'm a pretty skinny dude, and Jonah Hill at the time was quite heavy. You know, we don't have the same physique. Um, sometimes in a movie to, for example, uh, I've run marathons. I have no, I'm very fortunate I don't have many health issues. The character of Mike Finkel in the movie has asthma and breathes on an inhaler occasionally, and this sort of is a way to like, show visually weakness. And some of the my weaknesses uh, were displayed in the book more subtly in print. And when Jonah Hill talked to me about things like that, about you know, hey, listen, you know, this is uh, we're gonna you know we're gonna have to adapt this movie. It's not a faithful moment-to-moment reproduction of your story. And he said, listen, you're gonna there's gonna have to be a degree of trust. Well, I had seen Jonah Hill play in many other roles. In fact, he was just coming off um, I think Wolf of Wall Street, um, for which. He was nominated for an Academy Award and won an Academy Award or was nominated for Moneyball. And I was like, listen, Jonah, I, I think you're a great talent. And I said to him, you go and you do what you have to do. I understand. And so it was sort of this understanding that a, a person who is very skilled was going to run with their own interpretation. And was I comfortable with that? Comfortable is a hard word to say, but did I accept it? Yes, I did. And uh, I, you know, he 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 played his own version of me. It's not me. And when you see the character on the screen, you know, and my friends know who I am. And if if you're going to conflate Jonah Hill's version of me with the actual me, that's okay. It's not going to insult me. I and mean, that we could But as you'll see, I'm a different person than the person on the screen.
0: Understood. Understood. So your new book is called Stranger in the Woods. What's it about? Why'd you decide to write it?
1: <laughs> well, I'm happy to talk about the new book. I know we spent a lot of time speaking, uh, about a true story, but I, and I understand the new book is called the stranger in the woods. It is another sort of unbelievable. And yet at the same time, absolutely true story in a nutshell, it is about another guy named Chris. His name is Christopher Knight, who left the world at age 20 at the age of 20 years old. He drove his car deep, into the woods of Maine, he left his car keys in the center console and without very much, very many supplies, not enough food, not a map, not a compass, barely enough clothing or survival gear, walked into the woods of Maine at the age of 20 and was not seen again for 27 years. This is a true story. He was arrested at the age of 47. Now, just imagine your life between the ages of 20 and 47. For almost everyone in the world, that is the heart of your life. You go to college. You meet your spouse. You start a family. You get a job. You get a car, a house. You think about, you enter middle age. All of this time, uh, Christopher Knight, The hermit spent living completely by himself, not speaking a single word. One time in 27 years, he accidentally was spotted by a hiker and said the single syllable, "hi," And that he claims, now again claims, and we can get into the truth of this in a minute, that that was the only syllable he spoke aloud in 27 years. He said he never saw the internet, spent any money, Drove in a car, used an indoor toilet, you know, made a phone call, uh, sent an email. Obviously, none of those things. Lived all alone in utter silence, in harsh, harsh weather. The summers in Maine are bug infested, and the winters in Maine are brutally cold. I, whatever you're imagining on cold, triple it. And this guy not only survived, but came out of the woods 27 years later strong, healthy, and seemingly completely sane, mentally strong. And that's the basis of the book.
0: And why did you decide to go that route, maybe, rather than pursue another crime-focused work like True Story?
1: You know, in a funny way, I find that the two books, True Story and The Stranger in the Woods, are similar. I don't think I mentioned that. In order to supply himself with food clothing, things like batteries, and books, thousands upon thousands of books, Christopher Knight, the Maine hermit, broke into unoccupied vacation homes, but that's really an exaggerated word. They're basically little modest camps. Around the lake country of central Maine are hundreds of very modest, uh, they call them camps. They're like modest summer homes. They're only opened in summer, but usually there's books and dry goods. And a little bit of food in there. And Chris, Christopher Knight, the hermit, never smashed in a door, never kicked in a window, never, never, n- never um, you know, vandalized the place, but was able to, using sort of like Houdini-esque lock-picking skills, open the doors to these little vacation homes during the off-season and steal food and batteries and clothing and books. Um, so there was a true car- crime element to it. You know, Dimitri, I have been very lucky in my career... I don't really have a topic, a single topic that I focus on. I just basically write about what grabs me in that journalistic way. And with Christian Longo, I had, as you'll recall, like a million questions right off the bat. Like, you know, why would you take on my identity? Could you really possibly be innocent? What could you even say, et cetera? With uh, with Christopher Knight, the hermit, I was like, did you really escape the world for 20 years? Why? What did you learn? What do you have to say about the rest of us? Are you just crazy? Is this story true? What, you know, how then? I had nuts and how do you survive winters? Nuts and bolts question, then philosophical question. Did you feel lonely? Why didn't you, you know, contact your parents? So again, the same sort of idea to me. The the, the two stories are parallel because they're both amazing stories that demand a book to be told about it, and a certain kind of curiosity is needed, and it's the kind that. That I like to work on the kind of story where it's a, an, a, a a not a famous person, not a you know world leader, but a regular person to who, who did something horrible in the case of Chris Longo, the murderer, or something almost unfathomable in the case of the hermit. And so I feel I feel similar in terms of style to me, but maybe that's just only in my <laughs> in my weirdly wired head.
0: Mike, thanks so much. It's been so great of you to join us. Where can people go to learn more about you, your latest works, how to best get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I I have a website. My name is Michael Finkel. And you can catch me at www.michaelfinkel.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, F-I-N-K-E-L. And um, I'm not a prolific writer. I write, it takes me a long time to write books. It took me three years to write a 191-page book, The Stranger in the Woods. But there's a contact uh, tab on my website. Send me a note. You can send me a compliment. You can send me a criticism. And sometimes it takes me a little while, but I respond to almost anybody. So feel free to, uh, if you have a comment, criticism, or question, feel free to get in touch. And, And Dimitri, thanks for having me on the show and allowing me to babble off on some odd tangents. It's been pleasurable.
0: And that's our interview with Michael Finkel. I hope you had a good time. Thanks so much for listening. My name's Dimitri Shaknovich. If you want to learn more about me, please visit www.dshacklaw.com. And this is the Fight Lawyer Podcast. Till next time, folks.